0: Part three, of Chapter three of A Student's History of American Literature by William Simons. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter three, Part three, James Fenimore Cooper, seventeen eighty nine to eighteen fifty one. While the genius of Irving was winning for a newly developed American literature, the recognition and respect of our kinsmen in England, his contemporary, James Fenimore Cooper, suddenly appeared in the field of letters to share in the distinction and the honor of widely recognized literary success. Our first notable writer of fiction, Cooper was in no sense a follower of the first american romancer charles brockton brown nor an imitator of his fantastic and abnormal types he stands rather as the originator of the novel of adventure in our literature and is frequently termed the american scot it is remarkable that many of the best english novelists have begun their careers as professional storytellers almost by accident this is true of richardson and fielding the fathers of the modern novel as it was of their great forerunner defoe walter scott was driven to romancing in prose when lord byron invaded so successfully his chosen field of metrical romance dickens and thackeray stumbled into fiction through the hedgerows of journalism george eliot had found a place for herself in letters before her talent for character creation was discovered cooper's experience was somewhat similar to that of fielding for the author of joseph andrews was provoked into novel-writing by his impatience at the tediousness and unnaturalness of richardson's pamela and our first american novelist of genius started upon his earliest venture to prove to his wife that he could write a better story than one that by chance he was trying to read THE SECRET OF COOPER'S SUCCESS IS THE SAME AS THAT OF THESE OTHERS, GIVEN THE INNATE TALENT FOR NARRATION, AND THE BORN STORYTELLER WILL, WHATEVER AND WHENEVER THE EXCITING CAUSE OF HIS ACTIVITY, IN THE FULLNESS OF TIME, COME TO HIS OWN. JAMES Fenimore COOPER WAS BORN IN BURLINGTON, NEW JERSEY, SEPTEMBER fifteenth, 1789 but before he was quite one year old, his father removed his family to a most romantic homestead on the shore of Otsego Lake in central New York. It was the frontier of civilization in that day, and on the very edge of the interminable forest that stretched out over the western wilderness. The deer, the wolf, the wildcat, and the bear were familiar denizens of the still savage woods the tribes of the six nations still held their powwows and followed the war path beneath its shade the lonely cabins of more venturesome settlers were still exposed to the horrors of indian attacks the little village of cooperstown itself exhibited all the various phases of pioneer life and character amid these scenes and in this vigorous atmosphere the childhood of cooper was past it is no wonder that the impressions of these early years should remain vividly painted on his memory to give realistic coloring to the picturesque tales of pioneer life which were later to be written a second period of unconscious preparation came when in 1806 having got himself expelled from yale college through some outbreak of youthful folly in his junior year he signed articles on board the merchant ship sterling and entered upon a regular apprenticeship before the mast a year later he secured a commission as midshipman in the united states navy and for three years followed the service on the atlantic and the lakes in 1809 he was in command of the gunboats on lake champlain cooper resigned from the navy in eighteen eleven but his experiences on shipboard had made him master of material which he afterward used in two or three as admirable sea tales as ever were written james fenimore cooper was thirty years old when he began to write he was then living in westchester county not far from the city of new york on what was known as the Angovin farm a beautifully situated estate commanding an extended view of the sound his resignation from the navy nine years before had been coincident with his marriage to a miss Delancey, whose father during the revolutionary war had supported the cause of the crown cooper himself had not settled down to any definite vocation least of all had any thought of a literary career entered his head the occasion which led to the writing of his first novel has been mentioned i believe i could write a better story myself he said laying down an english novel which had come into his hand try said his wife in november eighteen twenty the novel precaution was published no one reads the book to-day it is doubtful if many of cooper's contemporaries read it but some of his friends seemed to find evidence of promise amid its crudities and encouraged the author to go on the next year he had something better to present them this time it was the spy a tale of the revolution this famous novel had some foundation in historical fact cooper had heard from john jay years before an account of a patriot spy who had been in his service during the war This was the germ of the narrative. The story was vivid and impressive. It was full of local color. It appealed to the patriotism of readers. In many ways, it was the best piece of fiction that had been produced in this country, and even permitted comparison with Scott. Its success was immediate and unprecedented at home, while in England its success was relatively as great. It was translated into french and then into other european languages it was dramatized and long remained popular on the stage numerous imitations were inspired and the hero of the novel harvey birch found a place in the popular heart between eighteen twenty and eighteen thirty cooper produced eleven novels the pioneers eighteen twenty three was the first of the famous series by reason of which Cooper holds his rank among the novelists. It was a labor of love, this attempt to interpret the picturesque life of the frontier, and with the final completion of the leather-stocking tales, he had fairly performed the task. This great series, however, was not produced consecutively or in regular order. Cooper's fourth narrative was the pilot, the first of his sea-tales, and this appeared in January 1824 the pilot was like the spy an experiment for the real romance of the sea had not been attempted although the coarsely realistic stories of smollett had indeed introduced the theme into english fiction scott's novel the pirate had been published near the close of eighteen twenty one and as the author's identity was still concealed the apparent familiarity with nautical terms displayed in that narrative occasioned much conjecture it was declared that it must be the work of a seafaring man cooper maintained otherwise and asserted that the author's ignorance of maritime affairs was betrayed by the book he went further and determined to write a sea story to prove his argument the success of the pilot was almost as brilliant as that of the spy for the first time a genuine sea novel had been written and in spite of some obvious defects the pilot remains to this day one of the best novels of its class the principal characters colonel howard the american with tory sympathies captain borroughcliffe the british officer captain Manuel of the marines the midshipman mary boltrope the quartermaster and above all long tom coffin the typical american sailor are most happily drawn the female characters as cooper would have designated the heroine and her companion are as is always the case in his narratives inane and unreal on the other hand the actual hero of the story john paul jones who appears in disguise and is known only as the pilot is presented with considerable success the character certainly maintains the impressiveness of the traditional hero of romance and presents as commanding a figure as any produced in more recent attempts to portray this imposing personality of revolutionary days thus was james fenimore cooper fairly launched on his career as a novelist he wrote prolifically becoming the author of some thirty works of fiction of which perhaps a dozen may be called great novels besides those already named Precaution eighteen twenty, The Spy eighteen twenty one, The Pioneers eighteen twenty three, and The Pilot eighteen twenty four. The following are included in the list Lionel Lincoln eighteen twenty five, The Last of the Mohicans eighteen twenty six, The Prairie eighteen twenty seven, The Red Rover eighteen twenty eight, The Wept of ton Wish eighteen twenty nine, the Waterwitch, eighteen thirty, the Bravo, eighteen thirty-one, the Hedmauer, eighteen thirty-two, the Headman, eighteen thirty-three, the Monicans, eighteen thirty-five, Homeward Bound, eighteen thirty-eight, Home as Found. eighteen thirty-eight The Pathfinder, eighteen forty, Mercedes of Castile, eighteen forty, the Deerslayer eighteen forty one The two admirals eighteen forty two Wing and Wing eighteen forty two Wyandotte eighteen forty three Afloat and Ashore eighteen forty four Miles Wallingford eighteen forty four Satanstow eighteen forty five the chain bearer eighteen forty six the Redskins eighteen forty six The Crater eighteen forty seven jack Tear, eighteen forty eight the Yoke op- openings eighteen forty eight the sea lions eighteen forty nine and the ways of the hour eighteen fifty in addition to these narratives cooper was also the author of a history of the united states navy eighteen thirty nine of a biography of one of his shipmates ned myers eighteen forty three of tales contributed to graham's magazine and of ten volumes of travels cooper's literary work was interrupted variously seven years he spent in foreign residence owing to an abnormal sensitiveness to criticism and lack of self-control in the vigorous expression of his opinions he established a reputation not wholly merited for unreasonableness intolerance and pugnacity his unfortunate irascibility of temper precipitated quarrels his belligerent patriotism was aroused by european criticism of american institutions and the manner in which he expressed his protest aroused resentment abroad no less irritating were his own criticisms passed upon some of our national defects and crudities which he noticed after his return to the united states several of his novels were written in the spirit of satire solely as expressions of his censure these are naturally his poorest works he was bitterly criticized in the public press to maintain his contentions he involved himself in lawsuits and indeed won most of the suits but he also won a most unpleasant notoriety becoming in the highest degree unpopular both in america and england and yet with it all cooper was at heart a sincere earnest pure-hearted truth-loving man of honor a fearless and devoted patriot of undisputed power are the novels which comprise the famous leather-stocking group and it is mainly upon the merits of this remarkable series that cooper's claim to distinction rests both at home and abroad the character of the hero, Natty Bumbo, or Leatherstocking, portrayed from youth to old age, is unique in literature. Professor Lounsbury, the biographer of Cooper, declares it to be perhaps the only great original character that American fiction has added to the literature of the world. It is a fact worthy of note that these Indian tales have been translated into nearly all, if not all, the languages of the civilized globe when the prairie was completed in eighteen twenty seven five editions were published at the same time two appeared in paris one in french and one in english one in london one in berlin and one in philadelphia but the most picturesque statement regarding the popularity of these novels abroad is found in a letter written in eighteen thirty three by morse the inventor of the electric telegraph He says, I have visited in Europe many countries, and what I have asserted of the fame of Mr. Cooper I assert from personal knowledge. In every city of Europe that I visited, the works of Cooper were conspicuously placed in the windows of every bookshop. They are published as soon as he produces them in thirty-four different places in Europe. They have been seen by American travelers in the languages of Turkey and Persia, in Constantinople, in Egypt, at Jerusalem, at Ispahan, The later years of the novelist's life were passed mainly on his estate at Cooperstown. Here, with many uncompleted literary projects in mind, some of them already begun, death came upon him september fourteenth, eighteen fifty one. The 15th of September would have been his 62nd birthday. On the 25th, a public meeting was held in the City Hall, New York. Washington Irving presided, and a committee of prominent literary men was appointed to arrange for suitable memorial exercises. These exercises were held in Metropolitan Hall, February 25th, 1852. The audience was representative of the culture of New York, daniel webster presided and william cullen bryant delivered the memorial address which was eloquent and just no master of style in the large sense cooper did possess the one essential gift of a great novelist he had a story to tell and told it in such a fashion as to make it real in narrative and description he was eminently successful his word-pictures of forest and prairie, of land-fights and sea-fights, of storm and wreck, are superb. The account of the pilots working the frigate from her perilous position on a treacherous coast and the thrilling incident of the Ariel's wreck are unsurpassed. Cooper was prolix. He moralized to excess on commonplace themes— his characters are often described as conventional rather than living personalities. Nevertheless, in his best narratives, interest rarely flags. He is fertile in incident, good in arousing suspense, and not too technical to be clear. The reader who today takes up the volumes of the Leatherstocking series in their proper order, the Deerslayer, the last of the Mohicans, the Pathfinder, the Pioneers, and the prairie will not be disposed to question the pre-eminence of these tales in the field of native historical romance if he adds to these an equal number of the sea tales including the pilot the red rover the water witch the two admirals wing and wing he will find that the genius of cooper does not suffer when brought in comparison with later story-tellers who many of them his imitators are cultivating the romances of nautical adventure today the last of the mohicans is the volume usually prescribed for reading in school courses it is a pity that the pupil should not first read the deerslayer its predecessor in the series as representative of the sea tales, either the pilot or the red rover may be taken the spy will prove an interesting narrative for those who enjoy historical romance. While it is impossible, satisfactorily, to represent any novel by selections from it, the first five chapters of the pilot will serve well to illustrate Cooper's style in narrative. So will chapters twenty-seven, twenty-eight, twenty-nine, and 30 of The Deerslayer. The first includes the account of the escape of the Ariel, the second that of Natty Bumpo's brief captivity among the hurons both are thrilling incidents admirably narrated for a review of cooper's life and work select the james Fenimore cooper by thomas r it is an ideally written biography one of the best in the series of the american men of letters a short sketch of cooper is the volume by clymer in the beacon biographies bryant's memorial address in the volume of his orations and addresses will repay the reference the atlantic monthly for september nineteen o seven contains an interesting article of cooper by brander matthews end of part three of chapter three